Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to the second episode of AI Movie Night. I'm your host, Joe Simpson, and tonight we'll be discussing the classic that is The Godfather. I'm lucky enough to be joined in discussing this by two excellent guests and absolute Godfather fanatics. Firstly, Nina Kauser, writer, podcast with the excellent Liverbird and host of the brilliant Nina Kauser Show. How are you, Nina? I'm really good, and thank you so much for having me on the show. What can I say, Joe? I made you an offer you couldn't refuse. Oh, I like it. I can see how this is going to be. I like it. I like it. Thanks for joining me, Nina. It's a pleasure. Oh, thank you. I'm also joined by Neil Patterson, who writes and podcasts for the Anfield Index. How are you, Neil? Yeah, very well, thanks. And yeah, thanks very much, Joe, for having us on. Oh, thanks Um, very much for coming on, mate. Not at all. Okay. Uh, love, love Nina getting that that we quote in early as well. Yeah, I think you're gonna have to uh, you're gonna have to try and match it with a couple of quotes <laughs> of your own, Neil. <laughs> I did um, write an article though um, about Brendan Rodgers should take lessons from uh, Vito Corleone, so he's got his work cut out here because I have nerded the hell out of this film. <laughs> she's thrown down the gauntlet there, Neil. Uh, uh, are you gonna match her? That's a challenge if I've ever heard one. Well, hopefully <laughs> we'll we'll have to see, like. Oh, brilliant. Oh, well, I'm just going to get straight into it. We're going to start with a quick icebreaker. And the icebreaker is, if you can answer first, Nina, it's your favourite Pacino quote, but it's got to be non-Godfather, so no cheating there. Okay, obviously, when you think of Al Pacino, you kind of think of uh, the the gangster films. And I'm going to leave Scarface to Neil, because I'm sure he'll nail that, because (laughs) it's just a brilliant film. But one of my favourite quotes from Al Pacino has to be from Scent of a Woman. Oh, Uh, And I I absolutely loved him in that film. And it was the final scene. And when he goes, out of order, I'll show you out of order. But I'm too tired, too old, too fucking blind. And, you know, he goes on and on and on. But just that little quote, and it's it's the delivery in which he does it. And um, just the last one uh, from Scarface, I always tell the truth, even when I lie. Brilliant. Brilliant. A couple couple of great quotes there. I think with Sense of a Woman, actually, I did consider a few quotes from that. And I know 
a lot of people have uh, criticised it for, you know, maybe overacting at times, but I think there are parts of it where, where his acting is absolutely brilliant in that film, and I think in some ways it's underrated. No, I completely agree. I, I absolutely love that film, and the speech at the end is just brilliant, just makes yeah. it for me. Totally agree. What about you, Neil? Well, I think uh, Nina was spot on when she mentioned the gangster films, and uh, Scarface, of course, is is one of the sort of def- genre-defining gangster movies. Uh, so that one uh, and the, the kind of t- 10-year-later follow-up in Carlito's Way, mm-hmm. those are two, two of Pacino's best films for me. So, I mean, um, there are plenty of quotes to choose from, from Scarface, but I love the kind of obvious one, you know, say hello to my little friend right at the end whenever, whenever he's just uh, in the heel of bullets. And um, I, th- I think Carlito's Way... Uh, I love that scene at the beginning where um, he's helping his cousin out. And, oh, so good. Yeah, yeah, and they're caught in the pool hall behind, and uh, his cousin gets gets his throat slit. And Pacino's uh, out of out of ammo in the in the toilet, and it's all that. What? You ain't coming in? Okay, I'm coming out. Here come the pain. Oh, fantastic! Absolutely <laughs> fantastic. And yeah, also he- you. Love, you've got to love Donnie Brasco as well and forget about it. You know, it's just... Oh. Yeah, he's <laughs> absolutely, yeah. And he, it, very sad at times as well, that part, I think, and obviously his ultimate betrayal. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to uh, Carlito's way, that scene you've just mentioned is just fantastic. It's so well directed, so well acted. And as you say, at the end, the way he's out of bullets and he's like bluffing them is great. Shout out also to... Uh, Carl uh, Kopach, if he's listening, will love this one. Uh, it also features the legend that is Willie Lopez from Ghost is in that scene. Next time you watch it, if you remember Willie Lopez, yeah. you'll see him in that scene. He's in that. But uh, Is he the guy that, uh, that actually kills the cousin? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. him. That's him. You can't, can't forget that face, can you? Very memorable. <laughs> or the hairstyle. Oh, big time, big time. Funnily enough, my, my quotes from Carlito's Way, I always remember seeing that, show me age, that videotape, I think it was, in a friend's house. And the the cover of it, it's really dark. And I, I didn't fancy it because of that, because I was young at the time. and like, But it was the only thing I could borrow, so I borrowed it. And I was blown away by that film. And the quote I'm going to use from that is, uh, obviously in that he's a gangster as well, but I like it because... You know, Tony Montana, Michael Corleone, and then Carlito Brigante. Totally, they do have some similarities, obviously, but totally different types of gangster. But I like it that Carlito is, obviously, he's been in prison and he's came out and he's a bit worried that he mightn't be as good as he used to be. And he's got that sort of narration throughout the film of what he's thinking. And one of the quotes he says in it is, essentially, if you can't see the angles no more, you're in trouble. And that's sort of a Michael Corleone-like quote, I think, but from a different character. You know, he's very good at doing gangsters who are very intelligent, I think. Don't know whether you'd agree. He kind of shocks a lot of people as well, because if you actually look at him, especially in The Godfather, which was, I think, 1972, he's very young. And if you actually look at him, I mean, I don't know if you'll agree, but he's actually very beautiful to look at, very pretty. And yet the way he acts... It shocks a lot of people, and it, he's just, you know, and he's so small as well. Yeah, but yeah, he, he carries it off so well. 
You're right. I think uh, one of one of the producers of uh, Godfather who said didn't he want was him too in the film. Yeah. No, no. Funnily enough, one of them was calling him a little runt, and <laughs> wanted um, Robert Redford or Ryan O'Neill in it instead, which is you know laughable. You know, but obviously, I'm sure Francis Ford Coppola would would agree with you, and he's a very very good looking man, Al Pacino. But it just shows you how wrong people can be, doesn't it? That type of thing. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, spot on. I don't think I don't think I'd love it as much if it was like, say, Robert Redford. No disrespect to the guy, but Al Pacino's like my all-time favorite actor. So you you can't touch him. No, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. I'm going to go now to um, when you first saw The Godfather. Obviously, it's such a such a classic and so iconic in so many ways. Um, I'll start with you, Nina. Can you tell me when you first saw it and what your reaction was? It's a bit funny, this one, because uh, the first time I watched it, uh, I was uh, 11 years old and uh, it was it came it was going to come on television. And my two oldest, my three older sisters were, were going to watch it and they were like, oh, it's a great film. And they're older than me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll stay awake with you. I'll stay awake with you. I'll watch it. I'll watch it. And uh, I, went, I, I snuck into the bedroom, obviously, because I weren't allowed to watch it because it is an 18 film. And we, we started watching it came on and I was watching it and they were completely enthralled with it. And I was like, this is a bit slow moving. I didn't quite understand the concept, didn't grasp it. It was a bit too intelligent, a bit too grown up. And I fell asleep, like <laughs> like literally half an hour in, I, I fell asleep. It was my first ever fail. And then I got a little older and I think I was 13 and I watched Scarface and that just completely got me hooked. And I absolutely loved it to the point where I was like, no, I need to watch The Godfather now. I need to, to try, you know, another film of his, you know, and I'm going to give it a go. And I watched it at the age of 13 and, you know, I watched it and understood it, loved it. It blew me away. You know, I just remember being very young and being in awe of this man and wanting to be like him. <laughs> It's it's funny how often that happens. Obviously, he's he's a bad man and he's a gangster, and people want to be like him. And obviously, you know, when I first watched it, I'm sure I was the same. And like, it reminds me of like uh, Michael Douglas said. Obviously, did Wall Street, and he was Gordon Gecko, and it was like this sort of evil figure. And he said he constantly gets people saying, you know. You you were the guy who made me go into banking, and I was so inspired. And you're a hero, and you know in that film. And I think it's the same with like your Tony Montana's and your Michael Corleone. These actors are so charismatic and so good, yeah, uh, that you get swept along with it, don't you? Yeah, and just a disclaimer: I'm I'm no gangster or anything. I'm just a <laughs> I didn't no. take that career route. Gags is the only gangster on the Anfield Index, the isn't he? The Godfather himself. <laughs> He's made a few offers that you can't refuse in this time, I'm telling you. If you if you tell him you've got an idea for a pod, you get an offer you can't refuse within about I, a minute. I kid, I kid you not, I initially refused the, the Liver Birds offer and I woke up with, you know, the cat's head in my bed, you know, <laughs> terrible, terrible. Don't, don't, don't mess with Gags, would be my advice. What about yourself, Neil? Yeah, well, I think my first experience with the Godfather kind of trilogy was with the second one, the Godfather Part Two. I think we um, we ended up getting it out of the the video library. Yeah, showing my age as well. Like, well, I think we're only about fourteen. Me and my cousin, um, we sat down to watch it, and like you'll probably agree, I don't know, but uh, you can't really watch the Godfather Part Two without having seen the Godfather Part One. You know, the original. So. It starts, again, like Nina says, very slow. 
it begins with the the whole scene in uh, in Sicily way back when what is it 1904 or whatever it's meant to be. Mm-hmm. So we we kind of and that goes on for quite a while. Uh, so we kind of lost interest and um, and switched it off and I didn't really go back to it again until I think it was on on TV uh, Channel Four I think it was on uh, maybe a couple of years later and. I think it was on a Christmas, and I just sat down and thought, right, I'm going to watch it this time. Here it is. I want to see it for ages. So I sat down and watched it, and I was just, you know, swept away by it, as Nina says. You know, you get completely sucked into it. I think um, right from the beginning, you're sucked into to the wedding scene, the reception scene, and the whole kind of enormity of it and the noise and and the the kind of juxtaposition with the, the quietness in the in the study and so on i won't go into it too far because i know we're, we're going to get into that but yeah after that then i had to go and watch the second one immediately and um and then the third and then since then you know they've been they're probably my favorite movies i mean if you had to put them together i'd say yeah they probably are my favorite movies and the thing is as well with these films, and you know, I know a lot of people that can only watch them at certain times, that they have to be in a certain mood for them, but I can actually watch them given any mood. Yeah, I think uh, you've both touched on something that, that I definitely agree with and, and that point there sort of ties in with it as well in terms of I think you have to watch them depending on who you are and how, how maybe mature you are or whatnot, but you have to watch them at a certain age with a certain patience and discipline the first mm. time anyway, to really appreciate them. I watched it or seen part of the first one. My mum was watching it and I I was too young and I didn't have the patience and it seemed quite boring to me. Mm. Obviously, I was a really young kid. Probably shouldn't be watching it. At yeah, the time, same. But, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> a few years later, I revisited it. And, and like Neil said, I was totally immersed in this world. It really sucks you in. And I know that... There's a lot of films that do that, you know, fantasy films and things like that. But this is obviously more based on how it's still, you know, it's still another world in some ways. But it really sucks you into that world. And, you know, you, as Neil said, you just get immersed in it. And, uh, you know, I can totally agree with both both the experiences you've both had of, like, initially watching it and then eventually becoming such a big, big fan of it in the end. And I'm like you, Nina. I am. Um, and I think a lot of people are like this. To me, it's like now, it's like a a comfy pair of slippers almost. I know that I don't want to do, that sounds a bit negative in a way, but I mean it in, in, a, in a, as high praise. I can put that film on, well, any of them really. I can put them on at any time and just feel, feel immersed in that world and just really enjoy it. And I think another thing that really sort of strikes for me as well is it, they, they don't look dated. Like no. I, I went back to watch it again, like, um, a few days ago and I kid you not they still look so chic and classy spot on spot on. yeah they're really well shot you know mm. all this the cinematography and the scenes and so well acted and the, the stories just just put together so I mean if like like Joe says you do need a bit of discipline the first time but I mean if you have it and you want to find something that's great and you've never seen it before it's, it's definitely worth doing it like agreed yeah, I'm just going to move on now. Obviously, it was um, directed by Francis Ford Coppola and uh, he also co-wrote it with Mario Puzo in terms of the screenplay. Are you a fan of his work? 
Yeah, I'll start with Nina on that one, please. I don't really watch a film based on the director. For me, it's more about mm-hmm. the cast and, and the people that act. But the one film, you're going to laugh your head off, the one film that mm-hmm. I absolutely loved by Francis Ford Coppola was Bram Stoker's Dracula. And it had my other favourite actor, and you're going to laugh at this, but Keanu Reeves. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I weren't, seen... weren't expecting that. Were you, Neil? <laughs> Well, I, I did know that, yeah, I've seen, seen a couple of tweets about Keanu, so. <laughs> yeah, and I kid you not, when, when Al Pacino and Keanu Reeves worked together on Devil's Advocate, it was it was a dream for me. <laughs> it was must be your favourite movie, no? <laughs> it's up there, it's, it's certainly up there. Um, one acts the other one off the park and the other one just looks really pretty. But, <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, I mean, Gary Oldman again, just, you know, completely wipes the floor with Keanu Reeves as, as you'd expect, but... Again, I don't really watch films for the director, but if I think of Francis Ford Coppola, I always think of The Godfather. And with with Mario Puzo, I mean, my brother's read read The Godfather, and he he really really recommends that I read it as well. And he said it's a thoroughly good read. But for me, it's just about the cast and the acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people are like that. What about yourself, Neil? About Francis Ford Coppola? Um, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a bit similar to Nina, and I haven't really seen that many of of his films now i look through the role of on imdb there and the one the one i have seen the one i uh, maybe you've seen it as well both of you is uh, apocalypse now yeah fantastic yeah and that, that. Have, have you not like it it's it's good like i mean it's it, it goes a bit mental kind of towards <laughs> the end but uh really really good <laughs> keanu's not in it so oh bin it then <laughs> but uh is it uh, Martin? It's Martin Sheen. Is I was going to say Charlie yeah. Sheen, but it's Martin Sheen that's in it. So I that I've seen it and I really liked it. As I said, it goes a, a bit uh, mental towards the end, but uh, and when Marlon Brando kind of makes his presence felt in that movie, and yeah, um, there's a whole kind of uh, history about that and so on. But um, yeah, that would be the one I like the most. I've looked through kind of the other credits. I haven't seen too many. I didn't see Dracula. I have to say, I'm not really, I don't really, I think when that came out, I think it was about, I don't know, 15 or 16, around this, uh, around that time, and I, I just never went to see it. So, yeah, I mean, I'm the same. I don't really go specifically on the director. Um, I've seen a, a couple of films that he's produced here, The Conversation, for example, with Gene Hackman. Um, that was pretty good. He directed but, that as well, to be honest. Oh, did he direct it yeah, as well? Yeah. Okay, great. So I've seen that. That's a couple, but uh, yeah, like like Nina said, it, it was more the, the story and the actors that um, that really got me in the Godfather, and I, I haven't really followed uh, the director from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think why that is as well, probably, and uh, uh, you both touched on it, it, it. He's had quite a strange career. He's like some people regard him as like this great unfulfilled genius, but I think that's a little bit like you know the George Best thing of you know. Where did it all go wrong? I mean, he he directed four films back to back, and those four films were The Godfather, then it was The Conversation, then it was The Godfather Part Two, and then after that, Apocalypse Now. And you know, they they're four of the you know four fantastic films, and all back to back. Now, very few directors, I would say, could come anywhere close to to rival that. Probably a handful have something similar. But four like that back-to-back is just so impressive. But then a lot of his other films didn't make much impression, and I'm not a particular fan of of any of the others, if, if I'm honest. But those four absolutely blew me away. With with the Nina mentioned Puzo, 
Uh, I've got to say this, I haven't read The Godfather, but from what I've heard about him, he's like uh, very good on like story, but sometimes he has some some parts, like I think Coppola said that um, parts of it were like really lewd and, you know, there was a lot of stuff he didn't want to use, but obviously the story itself was fantastic, you know, and he's so clever to come up with that story. But the Puzo story that I always refer to that makes me laugh is, I don't know whether you know, he was actually, um, he was the original writer on the first Superman film. And uh, essentially, essentially what happened was he did this script and I'll give you an example of one part of it. I just think this is, thank God, this got changed. Essentially, a guy called Tom Mankiewicz had to come in and rewrite the whole film. This was the the example of the scene that he had in it. The scene was something like Superman flying around in the sky of uh, Metropolis looking for Lex Luthor, and he spots this bald head walking through the streets, and he shoots down and taps him on, on the shoulder, and the guy turns around and it's Kojak and he says, who loves your baby? <laughs> <laughs> and I just think, how bad would that Superman film have been if it had been in a similar vein to that throughout? But thankfully, uh, Tom Mankiewicz saved the day. But anyway, enough of me digressing. I'm going to go on to uh, the great Marlon Brando now. Um, firstly, yeah, I'll start with you, if it's okay, Neil. Um, are, are you a fan of his work, or or if you'd like to discuss his performance in The Godfather in particular? Uh, yeah, well, obviously, I'll, I'll probably focus most most on that. But like like I mentioned, Apocalypse Now, I've seen Marlon Brando in, and um, yeah, that was a kind of a crazy performance in a way. Um, I think he put on an enormous amount of weight and I think he was in the midst of one of his deep depressions because he's a strange character actually Brando I'm, I'm sure you've probably read that he he battled kind of a long lasting depression he never felt that acting was um was a suitable career for a man and he never really was at, at peace with himself being an actor and then he had problems with alcohol problems with, with addiction essentially like binge eating and, and alcohol and so on so yeah i think he was at kind of one of his lower ebbs whenever he made that uh when apocalypse now was shot and i think i'm right in saying you never really see him in the light you just see his, his shadow and, and his silhouette against the wall partly because of his size so yeah i mean he's a kind of troubled character uh, a lot of people call him like uh was it a flawed genius, uh, troubled genius? I think I've seen bits of On the Waterfront, I and mean, it's the kind of movie Dad would talk about, you know. And I think I've seen bits of Last Tango in Paris, but again, I think that was on Channel Four, and again, I think I was uh, quite young. So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, probably. In fact, definitely not supposed to be watching it. I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, The Godfather. I mean, that's. I mean, that's probably the arguably anyway that the biggest part in his career, the the biggest role he ever had, and. And the one he really completely delivered on. I mean, there's the the way that he altered his voice by putting the the, the cotton wool pad stuff in his, his mouth with cotton wool. Just it's just the whole way he plays it. The, the gravitas really that's conveyed. Always calm, always in control, and instantly commanding respect. I mean, even off some of the characters that would be less or don't really know how to how to convey it as well or how to show it. For example, at the very beginning, um, The Undertaker, within within kind of five minutes, he, he certainly knows exactly how the Don wants to be addressed and how he he must show the respect if he's if he's gonna 
to have this favor granted. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of a seminal part for Brando. It was, it was, like I say, in a way, his making, his, the thing that made him absolutely cemented kind of at the peak of his powers. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think, I don't know if anyone else was ever considered for the role. I think maybe he was always in mind. I'm not sure. Maybe, uh, one of you knows that, Joe or Anita. I think what what happened was the producers wanted like a sort of the the sort of discussion they had. I think was they they thought Brando was washed up, and obviously at that at the time he was. You know his films weren't making money, and he was difficult to work with and whatnot. And I think what what happened was they sort of obviously this this huge character they wanted to get someone. I think they were trying to get an old Italian either singer or something, someone who, 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 who was in real life, had a real status to play it. But obviously, although Vito was, was born in Italy, he was, he was an American-Italian, so Coppola didn't think that fitted with, with what he wanted. And I think the first choice he had for that role was the... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Best act, his argument was the best actor in the world. So he wanted Olivier at first, Lawrence Olivier. And I think Olivier was too old at that point and didn't really want to do any more films, wasn't up to it. So the next choice was Brando. And then he had like a real struggle to convince them to use Brando. And I think like what you said there, they were putting all sorts of blocks in the way of Brando getting a role. And one of them was they said Brando had to take a screen test before they'd even consider it. Now, obviously, getting this all-time great to take a screen test is now on impossible. What what Coppola did, which was really clever, I think, was he said to Brando, "I just want to come down and film you and get an idea for how you film, how you play the part, essentially, and film it." So he he tricked him essentially, and he said like Brando came out of his room, and you know. He was in good shape for his age. I think he was 47. Looked really handsome. Blonde ponytail. He basically looked like, as Coppola described it, like a surfer dude. And he said, like, 
I, I think when he first saw him, he's like, "Oh, you know, he's got to play this Italian American." But then Brando put, I think it was shoe polish in his hair, and as you say, he did the cotton wool and stuff like that in his mouth, and completely transformed in front of them. And needless to say, when he showed that footage to the producers, they were blown away then. And then it was like, yeah, Brando is the godfather. And I think you touched on it with, you mentioned Gravitas, Neil. What, one of the things Coppola said, I don't know whether you both agree, but I think the godfather part in, in a bad actor's hands could have been a bit laughable. Agreed. Gangsters... Yeah, Absolutely, would you agree? Yeah, because yeah. uh, yeah. I think gangsters had always been the Capone type, shouting and aggressive. Whereas, as you say, he was gentle, and he commanded respect just through his gravitas and presence. And I think that's what Capola said he wanted. He wanted someone who, if they walk in the room, your attention will be on them, and they don't have to shout. And I think Brando said the same. He said, "If you're really powerful, you don't need to do all that." because people know how powerful you are. And obviously, he had that presence as well to go go with it. So I think Capolo had a hell of a fight to get him. But thank God he did, because he's perfect in the role. I don't know about you guys. I couldn't imagine anyone else doing it now. No way. No way. I mean, it's untouchable. You, yeah. That's it. It wouldn't totally. be the same movie at all, like, I mean. True, oh, true. Totally agree. Thinking about and the other interesting thing is, apparently, it's a bit like, you know, in football, obviously, we're all big football fans. Sometimes if you get a world star or a world star managing a team, the players are all eager to impress. Well, Coppola said that all the actors idolised them, the actors and actresses. So mm. they wanted to raise their game to to be respected by Brando. And I think that created a really good working dynamic for the film. And obviously, you know, the acting is you know unrivaled i would say you know for for a major major film you know it's just you know it's fantastic isn't it what about yourself nina what what are your thoughts on brando and his performance in this in particular i mean just going back to your first question have you seen him in any other films i mm-hmm. mean i'm gonna absolutely i'm gonna drop another clanger here but i've seen him oh, in don, don, don juan de marco where he plays uh, johnny depp's oh, yeah. <laughs> I've seen him in that too. I forgot that. Yeah. Oh, that, I th- I think I saw it and thought it was one of the worst films I'd ever seen. But I was probably too young to watch it. it is it as bad as I remember? It was it was god awful. Yeah, oh. and yeah. I mean, like you said, he has made some bad films, but we're, we're we're only focusing on the good. And obviously, The Godfather. I think the thing that I absolutely loved about Marlon Brando as Vito Corleone was. Despite him being a gangster and the head of the mob, you know, and killing people and whatnot, he was actually a gentle family man and he had very good family values and principles. Great points. And, you know, and that instantly makes him likable. You just kind of get drawn to the man because he is actually, despite what he did for a profession, he was an honest man. He was a man of his word. He was a man of principle. I mean, and we're going to talk about this scene, but even with the Salazzo thing, he didn't want to get involved in drugs. And, you know, he, he had his principles and he, you couldn't, he, they were non-negotiable. And, you know, like, like Neil and yourself said, you know, just the way he, he, he handled the funeral director and he's, you know, he's, he's talking to people and he's going to, you know, he's going to roughen up them boys that beat up the, uh, the undertaker's uh, daughter. And he's, he's stroking 
a, a pussycat. And it's just, it's, you know, it's just the visuals that, you know, they're discussing some really, really serious, stern business, but yet, yet here he is gentle with his pet. And it's just little things like that, the way he is with his children, even, I know we're not talking about second one, but even when Robert De Niro plays a young uh, Vito Corleone and the way he is with his children. So if you had to kind of look back, he was like that from a very young age and it, mm-hmm. it just sort of carried on. And I think he kind of looked down on Sonny as well because Sonny was quite a hothead and he didn't really like his approach and, you know, he was the complete opposite of him. So for me, yeah, he, he was just brilliant and he never had to raise his voice. And the whole the whole thing where he would speak without moving his jaw, I mean, we, I've mm-hmm. tried it. It just doesn't work. <laughs> it's difficult, like, isn't it? It is so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> No, I couldn't agree more. That 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 sort of family, that he's a family man and that as you say, he's sort of like as close as you can get to like a you know, benevolent gangster really, you know. He is a gangster. But if you play by his rules, he's quite fair. And as you say, he loves his family and you know, he's and he's just such a warm character as well. I think as well, what you kind of get from that film, he actually never gets double crossed by any of his close men. Mm-hmm. As a Don, I mean, I know that Paulie double crossed him, but he was he was young, but you know, like his old friends like Tessio and Clemenza, they kind of stay with him till the very end. Yeah. And you know, there's no de- deception or de- you know, deceit towards him because he is an honest and honourable man. Yeah, that's a great point, and I think that that probably keeps them the these ambitious characters there longer than they ordinarily would have. Because I think I think Salato says something like, you know, he's been slipping for ten years, and I think if if he weren't such a lovable character as well as feared, as you say, some of those uh, you know more senior mafia men, your Tessios and Clemenza, you know, would have maybe betrayed him earlier than than Tessio eventually did. And mm-hmm. I think by that stage, he just saw he was that weak and he, you know, he was making what Michael would say was the, the smart play for himself. So I totally agree with that. Now we're going to move on to uh, Nina's hero, uh, Pacino. What about his work and, again, in particular, his performance in this as Michael? What can you say about Al Pacino in this film? I mean, what I absolutely love about Al Pacino, Michael, the character Michael is, mm-hmm. you see the transition from a, a boy, like when he arrives at his sister's wedding and, you know, he's just come back from the army and he's a war hero and he's he's like this little pretty boy and he walks in and there's all like this, you know, the whole dangerous family around him and he doesn't want any part of it and he kind of like pulls himself away he wants to be the honest man and just the way you see him grow and change and adapt and the the scene outside the hospital where he has to really think on his feet because his dad's life's in in danger again and just again he kind of really embodies his his father's um ethos in a way that he he's very calm and you know he he doesn't raise his voice and when he says it's not personal it's it's strictly business you know just little little quotes like that and the one thing that i absolutely love about al pacino in this film is well he does this a lot anyway a lot of his acting is non-verbal and it's something that I really didn't, didn't pick up on when I was younger I was just m- mostly focused on the dialogue and when you get older you start watching him and you kind of watch how he sort of moves or his eye contact or his body language and you kind of study him it's acting on another level and the thing I love is you see him change in the film you you see that he has to grow up quick and fast great point Great point. So yeah, I couldn't agree more. As you say, he's this this relatively 
young and naive character at first, doesn't want a part of the family business, but he's blessed with these this intelligence and this ruthlessness and this ice-cold nature. That means that when he finally does choose to go down that route, he, he, he's arguably the perfect gangster, really, in terms of results. I think uh, Coppola said something like, Obviously, and this spans the three films, really. But he said something like, "Of course, if Michael became a gangster, he was always going to beat all his enemies. He was always going to, because with those skills and that nature, and he's so sharp and intelligent, how could he not?" But obviously, the interesting thing about it is what he loses in the process. And as you say, you know, obviously his family's destroyed, and you know, some of his humanity obviously goes from the things he's doing. And onto the performance itself, I couldn't agree more to to see that sort of that change in him. And as you say, it's quite an understated performance, which is more impressive, I would say. You know, it's not very showy, but it's all the more impressive for that. And it's arguably the best performance I've seen over the two films anyway. Probably is the best performance I've seen. What about yourself, Neil? Yeah, I think he's a... He's a, you're both spot on there. Um, he Pacino grows into the role as Michael grows into the movie. Like you said at the beginning, you know, he is meant to be the college boy, isn't he? He's uh, he's uh, not had to get his hands dirty. Essentially, he's he's what Vito wants to be the legitimate face of of the Corleones. He's he's he wants Michael to be a senator, to be a governor. Even a even a president one day. I mean, that's the the conversation they have later on. And you know, at the at the beginning, it looks like it's going to go that way. Um, he's he's set up for that. He's a war hero. He ha- he he arrives at the the wedding with K. It is K, isn't it? For yeah. some reason, I'm getting a mental block. Like, but it is K. K Adams, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She um and she she's the embodiment of of that. You know, she is political America. That's what she. You know, basically represents the Hampshire's uh, respectability, uh, that kind of acceptable white American middle class that, uh, or or even slightly higher than that, which uh, Vito wants Michael to 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 be a part of. And as you see, as you've mentioned over the film, there's less and less chance of that happening, and almost instantly, when his father's shot, you see the scene when. Um, they find out, and they're coming out of the the film, the Ingrid Bergman movie, and they're talking about. Uh, she says, uh, "Kay says, um, would you like me better if I was a nun?" And he says, "No." And would you like me better if I was Ingrid Bergman? Bergman, and he jokes with her, and then they see the the newspaper. But from that moment, he kind of the symbolism is is quite clear that she's gonna have to take a back seat. That she's going to be that 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 part of his life, that kind of aspirational side of his life, is is going to have to take a back seat. Straight away, he goes to, to the phone box, and of course, the phone box in those days is is completely shut off. And she's outside; she can't hear anything. She doesn't know what's going on. And he's inside talking to Sonny on the phone, and Sonny's drawing him back into the life, back into the family, and and from then on, he just grows into the role and it's the I think you've mentioned that he would be the, the perfect gangster and of course he was going to be the perfect gangster and of course he he has the experience from the war so he's, he's seen combat he's killed before you assume anyway so he has that going for him but he also has a really Machiavellian side that develops 
as we go through the movie. I mean, quite quite instantly, you are shown that when he comes up with the idea to kill Salazzo and um, McCluskey. And he's fearless. Not only is he fearless, though, he finds a way to spin it and a way that uh, could just make things not quite so bad for the family and so on after the death of the police, um, the police officer. And as we go through, like you touched on, Joe, he, he loses. He does lose a lot because he doesn't have or he doesn't really display much as he tries to, much as he wants to. He doesn't ever really display any warmth to the members of his family, to even his immediate family, to, to his wife, to, to Kay and, and so on. And of course you have that situation where uh, his true love in the movie is his um, Thunderbolt love is blown up uh, and that's bound to take its toll. But I think after that, I'm not sure maybe it goes into a little bit more in the book, but after that, I think his capacity to perhaps feel love and dis- and certainly show emotion in that kind of a way is, is gone. And, uh, in the end he ends up a very kind of lonely guy by the end of the second one, but a fantastic performance, the intensity, the, um, the, the realism, the, the uh, like Nina said, the, the nonverbal acting, the, just the whole sense that he gives, you know, it's just fantastic. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't agree. And more he's completely you. the opposite than what he is in Scarface, where he's just a loud mouth and he just shouts and screams and he's so incoherent in your face. And this, this, um, this acting, this, this film, the way he acts in this film is just very calm and composed and quite cold. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cold is right. Yeah, it's almost hard to believe it's the same actor, isn't it? To you know, to portray two mm. gangsters, but as you say so differently it's like fire and ice really i suppose between the two it's just a total total contrast and you know show shows the range he's got you know even within the same sort of sphere mm. you know just just brilliant isn't he absolutely yeah. you've got three really good examples here where you know in scarface he started from the bottom and worked his way top in, in the godfather he was pretty much born with everything because his dad built the empire and then see a film like uh, Donny Brasco he's he's a foot soldier mm-hmm. yeah the perennial kind of loser yeah. in that one yeah yeah, yeah. no totally agree and uh, just to go back to that point by I think that was a really interesting point uh, you made there Neil um, about the K character and she's 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 everything the family wants and the direction it wants to go in as you say and the door gets shut on it I know it does later literally but the door gets shut on that life to some degree once you know once his father gets shot as you say so very interesting point that um now we're going to look at um james khan's performance and the character of sonny what, what are your thoughts on, on his performance and sonny the character neil yeah well i liked it the, the, the character i mean uh, um I suppose you you have the three sons. You have um, Sonny, the eldest, the hothead. You have Fredo, the the second one, the weak one, uh, and then you've got Michael, who's who's meant to be the the, the golden boy, but turns out to be you know the the, the perfect kind of level-headed gangster in that way. But Sonny, yeah, he's a, he's a hothead, isn't he? I mean, that's the first thing you, you think of. He flies off the handle, but he's marked out as as different right from the beginning. You know, right from the the scene. Uh, the, the the opening scene with the the reception and and so on where you see that he's having an affair with with the the bridesmaid you see that 
you're basically being shown and and you, you see that the don knows that and he makes a quip straight away when he's talking to johnny fontaine uh, and they're waiting for sonny to arrive and sonny arrives in the door late because he's, he's been indisposed with his mistress upstairs and the first thing that don says is you spend time with your family sure i do good because a man that doesn't spend time with his family can never be a real man and straight away, he's you know, Sonny's marked out as somebody who would put his own his own desires, his own emotions, his own will, and his own want above what's good for the family, uh, above business. He's shown as somebody who's not actually that tight in the family circle, and and you see that as the film plays out. He's overrun by his emotions. He's not a thinking man, and I think James Can portrays that. You know, really quite well. Like, I don't know. It, it. I think it's difficult to to ever imagine uh, somebody else playing a role after you, you've gotten so used to seeing somebody in it. You know, true. And yeah, great point. And yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't imagine anyone who's in the Godfather not being in the Godfather or the role being played by somebody else. So I think he played it well. I think he did. He did exactly what he what he had to do in it. And um, like, I love the the fight scene with um, <laughs> Carlo. And there's a few like the 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 the, the worst punches ever thrown in that um, <laughs> in that scene, but I love kind of the the nature of it, the intensity, the fact that he takes off a shoe to hit him with at the end, you know, and yeah. that he's just got that raw emotion that he's just going to hit him with anything he can get his hands on, you know. And that, that, you know. that I think that's a great point you you make there, because it's in real life when someone's that mad, they do sometimes do stupid things or things that probably won't hurt that much or would actually hurt themselves and as you say he was doing all sorts wasn't he bins and everything and yeah, shoes, you know he to probably me, lost though, it. that was such a realistic scene like the way he was actually beating him up like like you just said joe i mean he was just grabbing anything that was accessible to him and just launching it at this worthless piece of shit <laughs> in a terrible suit look at that suit as well I mean, he deserved the kick in just for the suit like yeah i i love that suit as well because it, it it shows that everything that the corleone family would hate that suit isn't it it's like you know He's trying so hard brash. to stand out and be obnoxious. brash and loud yeah. and obnoxious. You know, yes, but yeah, to- to- totally agree. What about yourself, uh, Nina? What are your thoughts on James Caan and and the character of Sonny in this film? I mean, I, I pretty much agree with Neil in the sense that I absolutely love his feisty nature. But as soon as you watch it, and the more you watch it, you kind of know that he's not the right man to take this family forward because he is just so hot-headed. And just the way he he sort of behaves and his mannerisms and, you know, he puts his own needs before anyone else's. I mean, the thing that really that I really liked about his character was when he went to go and pick up his sister before he beat up Carlo and he just took one look at her face and bit his knuckles. And again, just oh, yeah. little things like that, you know, and, and then she just goes, Sonny, please, it was my fault. Sonny, please, it was my fault. I started it. And she knew straight away what he was going to do and what he's capable of. Yeah, absolutely. No, but, you know, and just, you know, just little things like that. And another thing that really sort of strikes me really well with him is Michael sort of says, I'll, I'll kill both of them. And he just sort of laughs in his face. Like he actually sees, I think he kind of had this air of like superiority over his brothers mm-hmm. because he, he was in line to take over from his dad. And 
he just kind of behaved in like this manner of like, no, I can do everything. I do everything. And but at the same time, you did see a gentle side to him because I did think he was quite close to his like siblings, especially his sister. Like when they were all at the at the dining table and uh, Carla was told her to shut up or something. And then he goes, oh, we don't discuss business at the family table because that was the point that she made. That father never discussed business at the, fam- at the family table. And then he tried chipping in and saying, oh, I could help out in the family. And he just cuts him off. Like, he just saw him as, like, this insignificant person. I mean, Neil was actually very nice when he was actually... Um, discussing uh, Fredo there because I just call him a massive pussy because that's what he was. He was just, you know, Connie had bigger balls than him. He was just like... <laughs> I'm sure Absolutely, he, yeah. But yeah. you sort of you sort of uh, get a wee explanation for that in the, in the second one, like, don't you? You? Do, you do, absolutely. And, I mean, the way Sonny dies as well, it's just horrific, most graphic way as well. Like, he just gets blown to pieces. Like, absolutely. just, yeah. Which was kind of fitting for him as well, I thought. It was the way he yeah. had to go. Yeah, absolutely. A hail of bullets. And it's it's proper <laughs> kind of 1930s, old school Chicago, kind yeah. of with the cars yeah. and all, and the hail of bullets and that. And even the wee kick at the end, you know. Yeah, just, just to rub it in. Yeah, just totally for contempt, that wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it, it, it was apt that that was the way Sonny went, you know, as you say, in a hail of bullets for this guy who's, you know, such a hothead. I think a uh, couple of the other things I like, obviously, I think he improvised a couple of the, the, the things in the film. I think uh, that's one of Coppola's great things with actors. He's an actor's director and he gives them license to improvise. According to Carney, improvised the Bada Bing and he doesn't know where that came from, which I think is quite cool. And obviously with the Sopranos and things, that's yeah, you know, become so iconic. And also he said... He grew up in one of those sorts of neighbourhoods, a really rough uh, New York neighbourhood, and he said, like, one of the things he took from that was they could, if they were angry, they could smash something up, but they'd always pay for it, and that's where throwing the money came from and in the wedding scene came from, and I thought that, that that's something that really adds to that sort of that situation with the cameraman. We've got through an awful lot talking about The Godfather, but it's too much for one podcast, so we're going to split it into two podcasts. So if you join us in a few days, you'll be able to hear part two of The Godfather AI Movie Night. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.